If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode of Mind Pump, Amelia Boone. Oh, the queen of pain. She's got to be one of the more, one of the most decorated obstacle course racers. She is a badass. In the yeah. world, right? She's amassed more than 50 podiums and 30 victories That's in so obstacle course cr- racing. so crazy. But a lot of people don't know she went through some crazy struggles. I think in 2016, stress fracture to her femur yeah. and to her sacrum. Those are two areas that are very, very difficult That's, to break. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of pointed to maybe overtraining, you know, maybe just pushing too hard. Like how does she, we talked a lot about this with her in the episode. Rumor has it this was her favorite podcast she's ever done. And I heard she's been on some pretty damn good fucking mm-hmm. podcasts. Yep, that's what she's, uh, that's that's what right. she's said, I think. I mean, not only that, this girl, has, she is not only kicking ass and doing all this with Spartan Race all over the world nonstop, okay? So the amount of discipline and running it takes. She One year, she talks about this in the episode, she did a, a race every other weekend for an entire year. Imagine the, the work ethic it has put in, it has to go to, to do that. In addition to that, this woman runs a full-time job as a lawyer for Apple. She's kind of like the How Terminator. How fucking crazy is she, that? Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, is she the Terminator? Or is she, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we talk about that in this episode. We get really deep with her. It's a great conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. Now, if you are listening, you are interested in obstacle course racing, or you want to be able to move like some of their top athletes, we have a program that we designed for you, it's called MAPS Performance. It is our uh, answer to you know functional training, CrossFit training, obstacle course uh, type training. It is a program designed to get you to move better. Period. Bar none. Mobility, strength, agility, power. Uh, you know, having endurance, a big right. yeah, endurance. All of that. It's in the program. There's four phases. It's the longest program that we offer. I think it's like 16 weeks long, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. 14 to 16 weeks long. Four different phases, all broken down, video demos of the exercises. This program probably contains more movements that you've never seen or know of uh, in comparison to our other programs. If you're always into hypertrophy training, give this one a try. I promise you're going to see some huge benefit, especially to your prime exercises like squats, deadlifts, and hang cleans. It's a great program. You can get up, get more information on it at mindpumpmedia.com. Don't forget, to, if you want to find Amelia Boone, you can find her at ameliaboonracing.com. It's a, Amelia is A-M-E-L-I-A, and then Boone is B-O-O-N-E, racing.com. And her Instagram is at rboon11. That's A-R-B-O-O-N-E-1-1, and that's for Instagram. My girlfriend works for JJ Albany's, which is a uh, the largest concrete company in the area. So they do yeah. a lot of stuff for Apple oh, and yeah. Google. And so they're so undercover about stuff. Like if they're laying, they'll be laying like concrete for like a new building, and they have to. They're the only. These are the only companies they have to do this with. Every, everybody else, they pour concrete for. No one has to do. It's not a big deal. But yeah. with Apple. It, it can't even be titled Apple. It's yep. gonna have like a code name. People, if you have you pull your phone out, guys. It's like have been the ch- Manhattan Project. No, she'll tell me. Oh, yeah. She'll tell me of people getting launched off a job and actually fired if they pull their phone out on the job site. Oh wow. yeah, they can't even pull their phone out on the job site. It's so it strict. Makes, I mean, it's, it's like how do you think all of our phone stuff leaks? It's because our suppliers. So if we say we need glass, you know, we need glass screens for, and so everyone's like, oh, new iPhone has glass. It's gonna be blah blah oh, yeah. blah. So that's how it leaks out. It's not with an Apple. It's who we're getting our parts from ah see. yeah that's cra- that's crazy that's <laughs> she, she told people. me it's like uh and do you do you feel this at all working there with like uh with the, you know the, all the other the big four right your amazon yeah. and, uh, is it like you know everyone's building their their own little campuses and it's almost like a race back and forth it feels <laughs> like that as an outsider looking in it feels like you guys like, it's like one yeah. up yeah, yeah it's, that's what it seems like it's like oh google just got this oh here comes apple and it's like you Those guys are keep, future countries yeah. right I, know. I feel like i that. live in apple land exactly now with amazon and their like second campus wherever that's gonna be and everyone's like oh what city and i'm like please god don't bring it down to the bay area <laughs> oh it's crazy oh, around we here. don't need anymore oh, we don't need anymore how, how long have you been there for now 
I've been at Apple for two years. Oh, just two okay. years. Yeah, just two years. What did you do before that? I was at a law firm in Chicago. So I was there for six years um, at a, like one of the largest law firms in the world. I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid. And what changed- you like to argue. That, well, no, it was true. Like, that's true. Like my mom always told me that when I was a kid. She's like, you're going to be a good lawyer one day. Like, she's, <laughs> she's scolding me. But what turned me off, I'll never forget. I was, I was 16 years old and I was dating this girl and her father was a lawyer. Yeah. And I went to his work and I'm standing in his office and he's, he's, his whole office is from floor to ceiling, just all these books, like all the way around him. And I was like, whoa, I was like, do you have to read all these? And he's like, oh, I've read all of those. And I'm like, he's like, you have to read at least that just to be, just to become a lawyer. And I, at that moment I was turned off. It wasn't like a few books. It was like so overwhelming. Like that would, I looked around and thought this would take me a lifetime to yeah. read. And they're not the, like fun books. No, no. Yeah. They're like no. this of law. It's another and, language. really. And yeah. the funny thing is I still kept some of my textbooks from law school and they're all highlighted and color coded. And I go, what am I going to do? Why do I keep these? And people are like, Oh, you keep them like put in your big corner office. When I'm like, no, you don't. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just an, maybe it's just like this. Like I spent so much money on law school, I'm gonna take this textbook. You with have me. to know this. People yeah. have to look see at what it. I did. Like look yeah. what I did. I read yeah. right. all this. Well, being being a kid who wanted to who wanted to do that and then absolutely changed my mind. I I would love to ask you what that what that process was like. Was it some of the hardest times studying, going through the school? What was it like for you? Yeah, I was one of those kids that I loved school. If I could be a lifelong student, I would be a lifelong student. I would be like, what can I go back and get my degree? And I almost I thought about I wanted to get a medical degree. I was like, can I be like a doctor of physical therapy and a lawyer or something like that? Damn, um, cool I combo. so I love school and I and I that's why to me at this point I Why do you think that is? Is, is it the structure was, of school or is it learning or both? Something early on maybe happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> what was so wrong in your life that you liked it? No. For me I just am I love to learn. And so when I don't know something and then like I'll delve into that area and to and things like that. And I think it started when I started to get involved in athletics, which wasn't until I was out of law school. I mean, it was really when I was like 27 years old when I started racing. And so I wanted to learn everything about the body and everything about, you know, training methods and things like that. And so I just, I don't know. I just love to learn. Have you always been mm. an overachiever? Always. Mm. Always, unfortunately. I remember uh, when it was like the summer reading program. You know, did you ever do that? Did your parents put there in like the summer reading program and you had like had to read a number of books when you were little? Mm -hmm. So I was seven years old and, you know, you're supposed to read 20 books a summer and you would get a certain sticker. I think I read 112 that summer because I just, yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I just wow. had to win. Yeah. I just had to win. Yeah, I had to beat to, all the like, others. Not kids just win, crush everybody. Crush yeah. everyone yeah. else. <laughs> you want to be first, second, and third. <laughs> yeah. So unpacking that, what is that? Where does that stem from? Did you get it from your parents? I mean, were you pushed at an early age? What What excited you about learning like that? No, the funny thing is, is my parents and you talk to them are very kind of like average students. Like they were B and C students like they they were smart but they always told me they saw from very early age that I was just like kind of innately driven and so they acted as a balance to that and to be like it's okay Amelia to get a B like it's oh, okay wow. hmm. it's okay like you don't always parenting. have to be very good parenting and you know I owe a lot to them is that had I had parents that you know were like if you don't get an A if you don't get in the top school in the country if you don't do this I mean I think I would have combusted at an early age so I think there is definitely something that is innate there and it's it's hard to really it's hard to really pinpoint where it comes from because my sister is very smart but is the complete opposite she's very laid back she's very mm. i mean we're like pretty much you would never guess we were really who's older yeah how she's many, older and how many siblings is just, the, just two? the two of us okay do you find it tough to be still yes absolutely which being a lawyer then is very tough sometimes mm. because you're at a desk mm -hmm. for so long um and so that's why i think it's one of those things where if you're at a desk for 10 hours a day then i'm like i want to go out and run for 40 miles a day to you know to get rid of all that energy and things like and that and you said that started after uh law school yeah, I mean, I was an athlete growing up. I played soccer, I played softball, team sports, just kind of a jack of all trades kid. I was pretty good at everything I picked up. I was actually an excellent golfer. It was just way too slow for me. I mm. couldn't deal with it. Um, but I never really thought about playing beyond high school, and I was never really good enough to play beyond high school. I always just was going to focus on academics. And so I didn't really do anything during college, during law school. I think I was one of those 
people I, I went to the gym and did the elliptical for 30 minutes because like that's what you did to mm-hmm. do to stay in shape right uh and uh but it wasn't until I was a first year associate at a law firm in Chicago and I saw a lot of my friends around me to deal with the stress you know it's a very high stressful environment um there was a lot of happy hours and a lot of boozing and don't get me wrong like I'm all for that but that's how they decompress and I kind of found racing and athletics as like my stress release and that's kind of where it started what was the first thing that you did that 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 really kicked that off was it a race or was it yeah I signed up with uh through friends of four co-workers at work showed me this thing they're like look at this it's called a tough mutter and they showed me like these people crawling through electrical wires and jumping over fire and I was like, sign me up. Yeah, you're like, that's me. Sign me up. Let's do this. So it was up in Wisconsin at the ski hill in Wisconsin. And uh, we we ran it and we finished. And everyone was like, that's cool. Check that off the list. Like, go back to our lives. And I was like, when was the next one? And I got an email um, a week after that said, congratulations, you're, you've, you're invited to sign up for the first World's Toughest Mudder. Which so the world's toughest mutter was a tough mutter course where you did it as many laps as possible in 24 hours. I'd only run one race in my life at this point, this tough mutter. And for some unknown reason, I decided I wanted to do that. It was in December in New Jersey Hmm. and no experience. The furthest I'd ever run was 13 miles. And for some unknown reason, I decided to pull the trigger and do that. What Um, year was this? 2011. Okay. Yeah. And um, it was probably the most miserable that I've ever been in my entire life. But I think it was the most alive that I ever felt, too. And that's just kind of what kept me coming wow. back. Now, do you have this this personality and everything that you do with work and everything else? Do you do you feel like that? How you do every, anything is how you do everything? Yeah, I think that it's funny. I actually think that people are very, like, I actually think I'm pretty risk adverse and pretty... Um, you know, like the the lawyer part of me is very logical and very driven by, you know, thought and the head and things like that. And then I feel like it's almost that the racing is kind of the outlet, the primal outlet to be driven by, you know, things being like by the heart and just by pure physical drive. And so I almost feel like it's it's kind of that outlet that the rest of me doesn't really doesn't really get. Because if you ask my parents, when I signed up for that first race and they're like, what? I mean, that's just not, you know, I was the kid that was like mm. afraid to, I was the kid that like didn't want to sleep over at a friend's house because she, because I was afraid I wouldn't get enough sleep at night. You know, like I just, I was always very by the book, would not take any risks. And so then it's like, oh yeah, sure. I'm going to go run around in the freezing cold for 24 hours in Mm. December. It seemed completely out of personality for me. So it feels like breaking free. Yeah, completely. And I think that I think And I think that the more I've seen kind of the sport of obstacle racing evolve and you see more and more people drawn to it. And I think it's because so many people are trying to search for something there is that like we have set up our lives in such a way that like everything can be easy, like everything can be automated, everything can be given to you. And it's almost like people are searching out for suffering because we don't have we live in a world. And I'll say this, like in our obviously in America, and and this is a gross generalization because there are there is still a lot of unnecessary suffering in America. But we have set ourselves up to where, you know, everything can be so easy. Mm -hmm. And I don't and I think that human nature is to at some point want to struggle. And people have found these races as kind of that outlet. Hundred percent. So we talked to Joe Decina about was exactly that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Because we we talked about the the rise of just OCR in general. Like yeah. it's in the last, 15 years ago, no one was really doing anything like that. All of a sudden, you see this, and we are becoming so plugged in that mm-hmm. it gives you that sense of feeling that pain, that struggle. Like you just don't get that. Like we used to get that 20, 30 years ago, or even further back. Well, I think right. growth growth happens from challenge, and yeah. when you're not being challenged regularly uh like we evolved to be um and the thing is a lot of people don't realize why they feel terrible you know why do i feel terrible i have everything i've got a house i've got you know my family i've got a job like why am i anxious why am i depressed like even people who eat healthy and who exercise like why do i still feel this way and it's uh we evolved 
growing and learning uh, through challenge. And when you take all that away, it can feel for many people it can feel empty. Yeah, and it's never enough. That's the thing. So you get the nice house, you get the corner office, you get, you know, your two and a half kids and the white picket fence, and then you sit there and you go, "But what like what what else?" you know? And it's never people are never going to be satisfied. So it's one of those things it's it's finding different means, I think. Now, mm. as you continue to do this cuz you've been racing now for since 2000 11 you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And obviously highly decorated, very yeah. successful in racing. Where do you find that challenge now? <laughs> That's, it's tough. I mean, I think for for a while I kind of went through this a little bit disillusionment that I was like, okay, I've done everything. I've won a bunch of races. I've won world championships. And so for me it's always seeking out that next challenge. And uh there I have a lot of races on my bucket list that um they're not necessarily the great thing about obstacle racing is it's evolving. There are more and more races coming out and there are more different challenges. Like I'm going to Iceland in December to run a 24 hour Mm -hmm. obstacle race in Iceland in December, which should be fun. It's a 23 hours of darkness. (laughs) Nice and warm. Um, and a great way to see the country in the dead of winter. But, um, I think for me too, it's also, I've branched, started to branch off into just pure ultra running as well. And there's a lot of really, I just kind of find like the gnarliest thing out there. And I say, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. How's your, how's your body holding up to (laughs) this constant challenge? Because it is, um, extreme in the sense that you're pushing your body right on a consistent level or constant, always finding those new challenges. Have you noticed any detriments to your, you know, whether it be your your physical body or hormones or anything like that, or the things that people expect, you yeah. know, to be challenged in that case? Yeah, I flew very high for about my first five years. Is that I was just I we raced year round and I raced almost probably every other week year round wow. for five years. Wow. And a lot of these, I mean, there's some are shorter, yeah, but, but still, a lot of them lot. are real. And, and there was no concept of off season. And because I didn't come from a very structured, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't run in college. I didn't play in college. I didn't have a concept of like, like cycling your training or even taking an off season. And, um, it, it caught up to me. I mean, I, to spring of 2016, I got a stress fracture in my femur that ended up spiraling into a full fracture. And then I was out for six months with that. And I tried to come back. Kate tried to come back too quickly because I had no idea what I was doing. It ended up with a stress fracture in my sacrum. Like I was out for 18 months. And um, that's actually forced me to completely kind of readjust like my thinking and my process with this because I trusted my body for so long to just do what it needed to do and that like I put it through a lot of abuse you know I spent three or four days out in the woods with Joe DeSena during his death races like carrying things up a mountain and just going on no sleep and my body was great and it it did what I asked it to do and then all of a sudden everything just broke and I think that it was finally like okay take a step back and realize like you've had no no strategy to your training at all. Mm. And like, maybe you actually like, you're an athlete, Amelia, and now you need to train like an athlete. Mm. So yeah, that said, like going back and having the academic mind that you have, did you really go back and kind of dive into how can I, you know, make this more effective? How can I train to kind of promote more strength? Yeah, Yeah. uh, because when you talk about stress fractures of those such strong bones, you're talking about the femur, the sacrum, those are two areas are pretty rarely broken um, in that particular way. Did you have to go through testing to see what's going on? Are my my mineral levels off, hormones, like what's happening? Yeah, so I went through, um, you know, had a DEXA scan for bone density. And, you know, luckily bone density was normal. Um, Vitamin D was normal. You know, I'm a a sun worshiper. So um, everything was normal in that regard. But to be completely honest, like I... You know, I hadn't had periods for a really long time either. It's just with the level of training. And so my estrogen levels were non-existent. And um, I also realized I was with the femur, I was starting to, I'm pretty lean as it is, but I was starting to lean out more and I never get on scales. And so I think I was starting to drop a lot of weight with how much that I was running. And I didn't really realize it. And just the body can't take that. Mm -hmm. And then it was interesting after the femur, I ended up, I was no impact and I carry a lot of muscle and I ended up losing 20 pounds when I was no impact like after 
after the femur stress fracture. At, th- at this point, are you questioning your own drive in the sport at all? I'm questioning, I'm questioning like my body. I'm like, what did I do? You know, like if anything, it, it lit the fire to, to, to like when you're involuntarily sidelined, all of a sudden something you, you are like, wait, no, 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 no. That, that's my identity. That's my life. Like I want to come back to that. So a part of me that was getting burnt out on all of it, I suddenly rekindled that drive. But I was also just sitting there being like, what is going on, you know, and trying to figure out. And I and through this entire process, through, you know, the the year plus on the sidelines, I realized the things that I did wrong. And so like with with the femur and this is what I tell everybody now. And this is exactly what happened and what I did wrong is like when people get injured, you think you're like, shit, the first thing is like, I'm going to gain weight. You know, I'm going to get out of shape. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. You should actually probably gain weight while you're injured because like your body needs that. And I'm not talking like 30, 40 pounds, but like, you know, your body needs those extra nutrients to help heal. And I didn't do that. And so and then that actually like prolonged everything. And so it like now it's like I regained all that weight, but I just like it took it took so much longer because I just, you know, like I I didn't do all the things that I was supposed to do while I was injured. Yeah. It's, uh, in, in my experience, when you ignore signals of the body long enough, they get louder and louder until you, you tend to get forced like, okay, now you can't do anything because you have this, whether it be autoimmune issue or, or injury or whatever, looking back. and, And the good thing about hindsight is it tends to be 2020, Looking back, were there signals leading up to those two things that you can look back and say, okay, those might have been some signals telling me that I needed to change things or adjust my nutrition or whatever? Yeah, with honestly, with the femur was really tough because I have a fully torn labrum in that hip, which refers a lot of pain down through the down through kind of the area where the stress fracture happened. So I just thought I was running through with a torn oh. like I I was running through it, thinking like this is pain that I'm familiar with because it's a torn labrum. It's gonna like ache until I get it fixed. Hmm. Um, so that one. I mean, I my big issue there is I was ramping up to run Western States, which is like, you know, the Super Bowl of ultra marathons. And I ramped up my mileage too quickly. I absolutely did. I went from running like 50 miles a week to over a span of two months, I bumped from 50 miles a week to 100 miles a week. I mean, it's just, it's it's, it's stupid. It's absolutely stupid because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um And so, but I mean, I definitely with trying to come back after the femur and then trying to come back with the sacrum, like I tried to start running when I was severely underweight and like I had no muscle mass. And within three weeks when I started running again, like I ended up with a stress fracture in the sacrum. So had I had to do it over again, which I hope I never have to do over again, my biggest thing is like once, you know, for for anyone who's gone through a stress fracture or major injury or something like that, like rebuild your strength first and then introduce impact again. I wish I'd started off with like, you know, just pure strength or gotten back to squats, deadlifts, everything that I used to do. I used to do a lot of CrossFit, which I got away from. And, you know, CrossFit, we can talk Mm -hmm. about positive, negatives, blah, blah, blah. But I was a much stronger athlete, I think, when I was actually moving heavier weights. And so for me, it was like, okay, like work on plyometrics, work on balance, work on, um, you know, just those strength aspects, build up that muscle first and then go back to trying to run and trying to do and reintroduce the pounding and the impact. Did it ever cross your mind to maybe stop altogether? I did. It did. And (laughs) and it wasn't, it was after, it was after the sacrum. I just, I threw my hands up in the air and I was like, I can't. I tried to cross train my way throughout the stress fracture and the femur. And what I ended up doing was just making things worse because I was creating more imbalances. I was riding an air, like a a salt bike with one leg. I mean, so you think about it, I was just pedaling with my left leg, thinking that I was like getting a workout where my right leg was atrophying because it was broken. I mean, and so, yeah, with, I actually, with the um, sacrum, I just, for four weeks, I did nothing. And it was the worst. It was so bad. But 
it was necessary. Well, knowing your analytical and logical side during this time when you're sidelined, forced yeah. to not move, are you reading and learning a lot about how to progress afterwards? Mm-hmm. So you're doing lots of study at this point. Lots of study, yeah. Now, what about uh, rest and meditation and these types of things? Uh, have you were you visiting any of this at this at this moment, or is this always part of your training? Yeah, no, I I famously said like I don't meditate. Running is my meditation, <laughs> and um, that was about three months before um, the stress fracture happened, or as I call it, I came down with a case of the femurs. Um, but, uh, so I was kind of forced at that point and I, I downloaded all, you know, I did Headspace and Calm and played around with those apps and I got into a daily meditation practice. And it was really hard. And, I'm, and I do it every day still. And I'm really bad at it. Like, I'd like to say, like, I'm really good at But most of the time I'm sitting there thinking about my to-dos the next day. And, like, I'm still really bad at it. But I do it every day. And at some point, I feel like it will magically become easier. <laughs> it's, it's a practice. And, but, yeah. and for overachievers, that's the hardest part. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Uh, it's for someone. Uh, we, and I, we can all relate, right? We've talked about this on the show before. When you're a very type A type of personality to settle us down. But... Like I always talk about on the show too, it's those those are the people that need it the most. Yeah. yeah. Like if there's anybody that needs meditation in their life, it's like us and you, like because we are so go, go, go driven, yeah. run these crazy races, train all day long. Like we are so con- competitive with ourselves. I feel like that it's, we will uh, benefit from that more than anybody else. Yeah. So it's, you know, did you get scared when you lost your period? I would think that would freak, freak you out going through that. Yeah. So one of the tough things about for female athletes, and I can say this for and you know anyone out there is that so for instance if you are on some type of birth control like so I've been on IUD had an IUD for 10 years so you don't get periods with that so you don't actually know mm-hmm. if you are getting periods mm. and so the key is then I had to go and I did tests and, and saw an endocrinologist and they do your estrogen levels and your you know your luteinizing hormones and everything like that and tell you like whether or not you'd be getting it because estrogen is so key for bone health. And so I think that that was one of those things that, you know, they talk about the female athlete triad and blah, 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 blah. But it's, it was bringing back up those estrogen levels. So I highly recommend for any female out there who's struggling with injury. And if you aren't getting, you know, periods for, you know, because you have, are on some type of birth control, like get tested and check it out. Yeah. Well, if you would have been tested, you could have gone. I would have known. I like, I, you could have taken preventative measures and things like that. And so these are all things that now in hindsight that I wish that I'd done, but I thought I was like, things are going fine mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And, and, um, so it's, it's knowing that, um, that was, you know, really important for me. How has your training changed mm-hmm. since then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's a bit, it's been a year, over a year ago. Yeah. That'll happen. I mean, coming, so basically when you start, I had been off running for pretty much a year. And so it, you, it's frustrating because you're pretty much starting over from ground zero at mm-hmm. that point. Um, and one of the big things is I need to learn how to move again. So when you've been, Especially when you have anything with a back, if you've ever thrown out your back, if you've ever done anything, you know how everything is connected to, you know, all your vertebrae and your sacrum and everything locks down. So I worked a lot um, initially when I worked with Dr. Brink, who you guys know very well, um, on a lot of just movement patterns, like animal movement patterns, a lot of crawling, a lot of things to like be like, okay, your body can move again. Because for so long I had just locked everything down. so I, you know, I started off very, very slowly with running again. It was like a mile at a time at a 10 minute pace and having to build back up. And then also uh, incorporating a lot more single leg balance and figuring out what was fascinating for me is that pretty much all of my injuries have been on my right side. Like all of the nagging things that I've had have always been on my right side. And so for so long, we've chased up and down my right chain being like, what is wrong? What is wrong? Instead of your left what foot. we figured out is actually it's the, my left side that's mm-hmm. all messed up. It's compensatory. Yeah. yeah. So my left side, I have these like windswept mechanics where when I run, my left leg crosses over, shifts all my weight over onto my right leg. My right leg is taking the brunt of mm. the impact. And, was uh, that you and Brink that put that together or was it somebody else? Yeah, yeah, working with Brink. Um, also working, um, I don't know if you know her, with uh, Dr. Courtney Conley, who also works with Rock Tape and she's a podiatrist and she 
took a video of me and was like, but look at your legs. <laughs> and, um, you know, figuring that out and just my left chain is so tight. My right chain is super loose. And we've just so working now on evening those out, I think is really key. And I, it's been really enlightening for me is that the place where you hurt is not the place of dysfunction most of the time. That's very, mm-hmm. very true. Mm-hmm. Usually it's because it's doing something for it's another part of your body that's sure. not working properly. Right. Now, during this period of relearning uh, patterns and moving differently, you can't train super hard, right? Otherwise, right. you're gonna you're gonna you know reinforce some of those old patterns. Mm-hmm. So that must have sucked. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know being on the sidelines and doing nothing sucks. Don't get me wrong, but what's even been more frustrating is this entire. I've been running now for about running consistently and training consistently for about nine months, and I'm just like, why am I still not back to like why do I still feel so out of shape? And uh, I think it's because you have to go so slow to start out with. Is that your body, you're ready. I'm mentally ready to go out there and run 20 miles. But it's like, nope, you can't do that mm-hmm. right away. You know, like you're going to start off very, very slowly. And there's two parts. There's Well, there's more than two. But the two main issues that happen with a major injury, especially if that injury challenges uh, a psychological identity um, that you will create new patterning because of the physical injury, mm-hmm. but then there's a psychological component where um, it's it's protective. It's very very protective of the body. What's going on? We tend to hold on to pain as a result of it. I you know I worked with an athlete who had a shoulder injury that ended um, her you know competitive career, and through working with her, shoulder looked fine after you know a length of period of time of training. You know biomechanics were fine. There was no more dysfunction. MRIs looked good. Still felt that shoulder pain. Still was moving in order uh, in a, in a way that was almost trying to protect it, which then reinforces more bad patterning. Yeah. And it was really through identifying that psychological component to where she was able to. And really, it literally happened one day. Like literally wow. one day, it was a light bulb that went off for her, and she was like, "Well, my shoulder doesn't hurt anymore." And over the course of weeks, it was it started moving the way it was, it should. So that's the tough part when you're. You're such a decorated, you know, athlete uh, in a particular sport or event, and and you have an injury that that literally challenges that. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, and the mental discipline of it's been able to get you through all these things, yeah. right? So now, how do you sort of like reframe that thought yeah. process, like going into training and going into competing now? Well, to, you know, this has been something that's been running through my mind for this for this past entire year. Is that what the biggest issue for me is that I have now be from a year on the sidelines gotten mentally in the space where I'm like, I am broken. Like I am broken. And um getting out of that is really hard. And it's almost like I made my career, my athletic career known. People knew me as the queen of know me as the queen of pain. And like being able to fight through anything and being able to ignore that pain and keep going and do these incredible things. And now all of a sudden I would get after you know rebuilding and coming back any any ounce of pain and i would suddenly go into this like flight response of mm-hmm. i am broken again i am broken again i have another stress fracture i have blah 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 and thinking that i'm weak and getting through that i mean this is embarrassing to admit but so i've been back running for 9 months i've probably had 8 mris in that span of time for fear of additional stress fractures mm-hmm. just because of getting two in a row and they've all come back clean. And it's funny because it was just actually a few weeks ago where I finally like sat down and like was talking to my coach and um, I have a coach that helps me does my running programming. And he's like, you are not broken anymore. Like you have had eight MRIs that you have feared have been bad. Like you're strong you're back. Like, you know, like we had to, you know, you've gained the weight back. You've gained, you're still gaining all the muscle back. And like, like you are a strong person. And I literally sat down in my journal. I journal almost every day. And I just wrote, I am not broken over and over and over again. And for some reason that light bulb just went off my head. I'm like, I can do this. You know, I can do this. And I think for me, it's that letting go of that of that fear and realizing like that I don't have to be afraid anymore. And, and, but that having that relationship with pain is so 
difficult because you for so long I was so easy it was mm-hmm. so easy for me to ignore mm-hmm. it and then all of a sudden I was super hyper aware and so it's finding that good place in the middle it's um mm-hmm. you know I found success with so what you're talking about is actually extremely common with people who are also deconditioned believe it or not mm-hmm. where I'll have someone who's been overweight their whole life and they'll say I am fa- I am fat mm-hmm. and like you said I am broken and really if we break down what you're saying, um, whether you say I am fat, I am broken, I am tall, I am short, you're, you are none of those things. Um, you're identifying with uh, a state or with a body that is constantly changing. And realizing that helps a lot of people. Realizing that they're not fat, their body has body fat, or I am not broken, I've had broken parts. It is not uh, who you are because once we start to identify with those things in our bodies, if we are encountered, if we encounter a challenge, it, it challenges our very core of who we are. Mm-hmm. And that's a very difficult thing to deal with, much more difficult than a broken femur or bad recruitment patterns. Right. It's that mental side that becomes so difficult. Are you, because you're working with Dr. Brink on patterning, you're working with some other, are you working with anybody on that, on that part of it, that sports psychology part or the, you know, the, the, that side of you that fears that? Yeah, unfortunately, that's the one piece that I never, I, I did not, you know, reach out to a sports psychologist. I thought about it, um, and in in hindsight, probably should have, and probably would have made the process a bit easier. Um, I luckily have, you know, some great friends that we, you know, have kind of been sounding boards for each other that have been through similar processes. So. Um, no, though, I, you know, I'm still not opposed to it. <laughs> now that I think about it, I'm like, it'd probably be a good thing. Well, you know, something that I've probably somewhere between, I'd say 50 and 100 OCR marathon runners, people that do endurance sports I've trained in my career. And they all have some things in common. And when we first started talking uh, today, we were talking about where, um, where what's happening with tech and how we're becoming so plugged in and right. people are searching for these this this physical demand to be challenged or whatever but what i ran across with all these these athletes that i was training was they had um they had a lot of stress at work and they were attracted to this other physical stress and it was and that physical stress was the outlet from the mental stress but the same the same stress that they were getting at, at this high and i think of someone like you i can't help but think that with the the job you have i mean you're an attorney for one of the largest companies in the world i know you can't have like a low stress job <laughs> yeah you ain't got to tell me we don't yeah, have to talk yeah. about your job yeah. and i would i already know you know just with my experience and so you know someone like you uh I, I, and it would take a long time uh, for me to get this message across to the people I was coaching, but because I know you love what you do, but I would eventually tell them that, you know, the, all these signs that we're getting, th- this is your body telling you that you already got plenty of stress in your life. You already got a lot of challenge. You've already got a lot of drive. And I was going to ask you, because you seem very self-aware that, you know, you're, I always say on the show, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And for sure, your drive has made you very successful in, in many avenues. You know, where do you see that hindering you or holding you back? <laughs> yeah, I I agree. And I, the funny thing is, is, it took me a while to realize that whole stress is stress concept. That physical, physical stress, mental stress, emotional stress, like they all break your body down. And I had in my mind that, Look, I can run really hard in the mornings, but it's okay because like I'm sitting on my butt for 10 hours a day, so I've got all the time in the world to recover. Uh, what I didn't realize is that, you know, most professional athletes who are training at the type of level that like I train at, like, you know, they train in the mornings, but then they're like doing all the recovery things during the day that you right. should be doing and sleeping. I mean, my biggest thing is like for years I got probably 5 to 6 hours of sleep mm. a night, like consistently. And trying to compete at the level that I was competing against a a lot. I mean, you see a lot of people doing obstacle racing as full-time professional career. And I'm sitting here juggling both and, and, and I'm not saying like, woe is me, but I'm just saying that I did not realize and appreciate how the going 100 miles an hour in the morning physically and then 100 miles an hour during the day mentally and emotionally 
like would then end up compounding everything. All right. And so it's it's that has been a very hard learning process for me. <laughs> I can only imagine we actually posted on our uh, Instagram page that we would be interviewing you and people and were asking us questions to ask you. Yeah. One of the most common questions was, how does she do it all? How does she do, you know, the attorney? How does she do the training? And so hearing that also being somewhat of a role model, uh, mm-hmm. especially for women and girls who want to do these types of things. And it is, I'm going to be honest with you, very empowering. Mm-hmm. It's, I have a daughter and if you were her hero, I would not be upset about that because it's a very empowering, you're a very empowering figure. But at the same time, knowing that, hearing that, it's like, I got I can keep going. I got to keep doing this. Does that go through your mind? You mean in terms of like, I got to keep racing or I got to keep like, like doing it all. I'm going to keep doing it all. No, I mean, what I've always, what I have come to realize is that you can't have it all. No one has it all. What you have to do is define what your all is and then be like happy with that. And for me, I enjoy both. I enjoy the juggling of the two. I have to realize that I have to make sacrifices in other areas. And then I also have to probably make sacrifices sometimes in performance and in terms of athletics or performance in terms of work. And it's not always going to be a perfect fit. And I think that, you know, more and more I've realized that if you really do want to compete at the highest echelons of a sport, you're probably going to have to be a professional athlete. Like the whole weekend warrior shtick doesn't, you know, you might get, it's it's pretty tough. It's tough, but I enjoy it that way. And um, so I think that it's really important just to keep, I mean, my training volume is a lot lower now than it used to be. And Maybe that's why I still feel really out of shape, but I also realize that I feel much healthier um, because of it. And so, How's, has nutrition changed throughout this process? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was was putting back on the weight, and um, and I've been trying to look. I I've never been dogmatic in nutrition. I've experimented with a lot of things. Um, but it has been focused more on getting more fats in my diet. Did you start? Sure. Did you start the pop tart thing? That's I a, started the pop tart. You got to well, tell the story because yeah. <laughs> somebody inboxed me like two weeks ago. Finally, we're getting we, into we it. We talked yes. about. I, I talked about how it made its way into bodybuilding. So I, I did it. So I was in men's yeah. physique uh, really? the last four years. Yes, yeah, so this tripped me out. Right. So here I'm in my 30s competing. And, uh, you know, Pop-Tarts have been around forever. Right. All of a sudden, everybody's using them in the gym before they go go work out. <laughs> and it's like a, everyone's using it before in the back. And I'm going, what the fuck? I don't get it. Like, I don't, what's, I never liked Pop-Tarts as a kid. I never, whatever, right? But I even found myself trying them. And, and I ended up It was up like eating. a popular 80s food. And then all of a sudden. Yeah. I know. And this is why, okay. So like my people are like, how are you not sponsored by Kellogg's? I'm like, because I'm not their target demographic. I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a four-year-old and I'm not a mother of a four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, so in 2013, um, I was running the Spartan Race World Championship and I was destroying the field. I think it was winning by like 45 minutes. And the race director at one point yells out to me as I'm going over this obstacle. He's like, damn, Amelia, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? I was like, Pop-Tarts, which is actually true. I did. And... Um, <laughs> and then ever since then, it is a pre-race ritual for me. I have Pop-Tart every time before every race. I'm not eating Pop-Tarts on a daily basis. I will, I will uh, like, you know, get rid of that myth out there. I don't, some people get angry at me because I'm, you know, I'm, they feel like I'm promoting junk food. And I'm like, I'm not, it's, it's a thing. It's, it's more ritualistic of anything, but I do actually believe that, you know, everyone has their, every, you need to have a pre-race, a pre-workout or, you know, type of food that you know is going to sit well in your stomach. And Pop-Tarts are a very easily digestible source of carbs. And they've always sat well in my stomach. And so I've, I've rolled with that. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's made its way to the bodybuilding with I favorite know. flavor. And yeah. it's, oh, cinnamon roll. Oh, okay. Cinnamon roll is hands down um, the best if I recommend people to try. I have not tried. <laughs> I have a box of like the Jolly Rancher ones sitting at my house I just can't bring myself to try. I was, I was a toaster strudel kid. That one was. Oh, oh yeah. But see, the issue with toaster too fancy. strudels is that when you're traveling, and I yeah, ra- right. I race in the middle of nowhere. Like I mean, the our races are in the middle of nowhere. Squaw I was a 
you know, an outlier, but they're generally like there's nothing around. So you're not going to have a microwave for a to- or a toaster for a toaster strudel, yeah. unfortunately. Those how really how do you deal with you just you touched on something? I saw you kind of roll your eyes a little bit with the people that give you a hard time. And and, and I'm sure this is <laughs> this. I'm sure in the last five years, this is probably a, a somewhat new experience for you. I know mm-hmm. it's been for even for us. And we talk about on the show of. You know, once you get gain this Trolls. traction of people following you, how do you deal with that stress? Do you get probably get a lot of people that are always trying to tell you what to do and what to say? And how do you handle that? Yeah, I, it's it's hard. I'm not gonna lie. I wish I could be one of those people that's like I can tune out the people on the internet and blah 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 blah, and I don't listen to them. I'm I'm actually a pretty sensitive person, and so I think it's just more it's more reps. It's almost like the more you, the more it happens, the more people that say mean things, the easier it becomes almost because you like start to realize that you just start to learn how to deal with it. I, t- I totally, and I re- still remember the first one that really, <laughs> see, so yep. all the rest uh, after that, no big deal. But the first impact. one, do you remember the first one that like really bothered you? What someone said to you? Yeah, what actually. Um, so there was a picture of me jumping over the fire, winning a Spartan race a few years ago. And it was a weird, weird angle it was like shot up from the ground it was just it was an attractive picture but like a bunch of people on the facebook page all these dudes were like weird body oh. like weird and i just Assholes. i was sitting there like yeah. what <laughs> like and what do you what right do you have to come and all i want to do is respond but what i've always been told is like don't feed the trolls yeah. if don't you pick up the brick. like it was <laughs> it's gonna make it worse it's gonna make it worse but i'm just sitting there and i'm like and it's also the lawyer in me that I also just want to argue about everything too. Um, so I try to not, you know, I try to just kind of like, you know, don't fan the flames. But I think it's also hard for me because um, people told me like, just don't read your Instagram comments or don't blah, blah, blah. But I like to engage with people. And so if somebody's taking time to like comment on my Instagram, like I'm going to respond to them. So I do read the comments. And to be fair, 99% of what I get from people, like people are fantastic, but it's just always that one asshole that can ruin everything. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. yeah, we experienced that ourselves. Yeah, I was like, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that you guys get it all the time too, you know, not in... Adam gets it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, What's wrong with him? But you're right though. It, 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 after you get, you get the reps, it's not so bad, yeah. but it was the very first one because for quite some time, we got, we actually had a lot of love. In fact, we were we kept saying it to, like, to, to each other. Waiting for it. Yeah, we're like yeah. any day now. Like, it's gonna like, happen. Any day now, we should be it's getting gonna suck. Like we yeah. got right. quite a few people paying attention, right? And then finally, uh, it happened for me. And when it happened, I was just like, it. W- and I think, um, we're, we're, if I look look back, I think that you know, it's definitely my insecurities that make me feel. Uh, so butthurt over that. Like, why would I let some person I've never met in my life make a statement about me and and then I get bothered by it? I'm like, that's me, you know, well, shame on me for even allowing that to happen. That obviously struck a chord with me. And so it's what I, I've actually now flipped it on its head. It's been huge growth for me that every time I get attacked or that it actually gets me in that feeling where I want to respond, it, uh, now I've trained myself, one, not to respond, and then two, like kind of reflect on that and go like, Okay, what does that say about myself? Why why do I let some strain? Because who is this person to me? I don't know who the yeah. fuck. Why are this they giving is. them control? Yeah, why would I even right. give my power away like that and allow that to even bother me? And so it's allowed me. It's been huge. I think mean, we talk about all the time. The show so much like therapy, like because you you do. We get so many people. Mm-hmm. I'm sure commenting on every hanging on every word that you say and that you do. Uh, and the ones that actually get me fired up are the ones that make me kind of dive back in and go like, hmm, why do I actually? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, to be honest, some of them have actually given me things to work on. So I'll forget, never forget when I was on Tim Ferriss's podcast and somebody commented, I can't listen to this girl. Her vocal fry is awful. I had no idea what vocal fry was. Yeah, neither do I. And what I was that? like, it's, you know how it, it, it tends to be, men do it too, but mm-hmm. women get crucified for it. And so it's kind of trailing off and uh, oh, like that I kind see. of thing. And apparently, I've read studies that it just, it, it doesn't mean, it's it's correlated, people seem, it seems valley girl, I guess. Mm. Um, but I was doing it unconsciously, and so it was one of those things, when I saw that comment, what is this? <laughs> and now I need to work on this. Oh, yeah. And I feel I'm not a valley girl, I swear to God. And so, some of them, you know. Very you I say like all the time. That there it, we go. And everybody gives me shit for that. And I get it. Like, and I'm always, see, I just did it right there. But yeah. <laughs> I'm always checking myself, but yeah, like you, sometimes it's constructive. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. So sometimes, thank you, constructive trolls. Yeah. I will take it. Yeah. I, I've, de- I've developed this defense mechanism where I make fun of myself before they can. <laughs> yes. So look how That's stupid I look here. Done. Yeah. Right. No, now you I can't take a bad it. picture. <laughs> I'll just like <laughs> highlight how bad it is. Yeah. Now you yeah. can't do anything about it. Well, exactly. So mo- uh, moving ahead. Now you just yeah. broke your pinky finger. We were at the race with you. <laughs> yes. Um, we saw you afterwards, yeah. and you were talking about how, and you're so like. Oh, yeah, I think, I don't know, I couldn't grab anything. I think I might have broken it. And then talking to you today and getting the details, you didn't just break it. You smashed the fuck out of it. Didn't you have to get, like, screws? And yeah, a, so I had plates. I have a plate and several screws and the pinky, which I didn't realize you could put that much metal in a pinky finger. But I remember, I thought I had just jammed it or dislocated it because I had Dr. Brink take a look at it. And he's like, oh, it's not moving very. <laughs> he's like, it's moving too much. And so... After the race, after Spartan Race World Championships, when I just wanted to go out and have a beer with my friends, I sat in urgent care in Truckee for five hours um, oh, while they oh, tried man. to, because it was also like clawed and curled up. And so they had to like pull it out. And then he goes, you need to see a hand surgeon ASAP. And I was like, really? And he goes, these breaks, just like an oblique fracture, um, don't heal well unless you get them fixed. So I had surgery two days later. I was lucky I was able to get in. And uh, it's I'm just like, really? I mean, I feel like you should pick up fishing or something. I, I know. <laughs> it's just so maybe another sport. If anything, <laughs> if anything, it's just annoying because yeah. you need your you need your fingers for obstacle racing. I mean, at least I can still run right now, mm. but it's kind of hilarious if I think about well, it. Let me, uh, well, let me ask you this. The when you had your big injuries, your femur, your sacrum, looking back, do you consider them gifts now? I. When I got injured... She's like, hell no, dude. Well, no. So, this is funny. When I got injured, everyone told me, like, you'll come back stronger. And I just wanted to slap them. Yeah. Like, at people, I was like, You're, there'll be a silver lining in this. And I'm, go- I'm going to smack you across the face right now. <laughs> Shut up. But now, reflecting back on it, I there yes, I do see the silver lining. And I think that learning from, you know, I flew high for so many years. And what I've learned is you don't learn anything when you're winning. And I and I feel like life lessons can be overrated sometimes, but I also feel like they make you a smarter person and a smarter athlete. And so to sit out for that entire year to kind of reformulate my relationship with the sport, to kind of, you know, look at where I want to go moving forwards and, and what I want to do as an athlete and as a person, I think was very valuable time for me. Tell me more about what you just said about life lessons. <laughs> about how they're overrated. Yeah, yeah. Where does that come from? <laughs> you got to share now. And no, I mean, I, I think, I think, I think life lessons are very important, but I also think that now we can be in this situation in the culture where it's always about lessons and it's always about being deep and people can almost like overthink and overprocess and overanalyze. And sometimes you just got to be, hmm. sometimes I think that the more, the more miserable people, the more, sorry, if a person is miserable, it's almost because they're like stewing in their own shit way too much, you know? It's More like, often than not. Yeah. That's what I think. Right. And so I'm all for lessons and I'm all for the learning. Life is a constant process and I love that process and I kind of love the ups and downs and I've learned to embrace that. But I also think that sometimes, you know, you can just circle the drain the for pity so party. long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't come across as somebody that. <laughs> no. what, what, do you, what do you currently feel like you're working on within yourself? What are, what are you currently working on? Good question. I feel like right now I'm kind of in this transition mode um, in terms of as an athlete. I mean, you you go through this process where it's like, when do I hang it up? You know, and I'm not I'm not hanging it up, but it's if you're no longer for so many years, I was on the top of every single podium and I was winning everything. And then you're off for a year from injury. You come back and you're not performing at the same level that you were. And it's kind of that process of like, I mean, for me, it was a huge ego check this year to go out there and tow that start line to know that, know that I wasn't feeling in a position where I actually could compete for a podium spot. But just because I was so grateful to be out there and be able to run and be able to do this again, I was going to go out there anyway. Awesome. You know, and I think that. I don't want to be the, one of those people that gives up a sport because I'm no longer, you know, winning every single race. Mm. Like as long as I still love it, I'm going to go out there and compete. And um, that's been it, it's it that was a very it's been a very hard process for me to like set aside that ego and be like I'm going to compete to the best of my ability and be fine with that. 
and realize like, you know, it's not, you are not your race results, et cetera, that type of thing. And so that's been um, something that I've been working on. And then just really kind of owning like where I am and, and where, what is the new challenge that I want to take on? And like, I'm always going to be involved in obstacle racing. I'm always, you know, I'm going to run Spartan races. I'm going to run Tough Mudders, but like there are other things out there that I'm really, really drawn to and just kind of gearing up and figuring out how yeah, to that's take those what, on. What you're saying about, you know, doing them because you can do them, not necessarily because you're going to win, that kind of embodies the spirit. Yeah. I think of what obstacle course racing wants to stand for. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty awesome. When's the next race for you? Are you do you have any in your in your scope or are you just waiting right now? Yeah, I mean, so I do I have two big ones coming up. Um the first one World's Toughest Matter, which is, you know, is a huge is a 24-hour race um is in two and a half weeks at this point. And that's going to be difficult with the pinky. We're going to, it's going to be a game day decision. I mean, that's tough. People are like, just go out. There's a guy that ran it with a broken arm last year. And I'm like, yeah, but I still want to be able to compete, right. you know? And that's like, yes, I can go out and run it for fun, but I mean, it's really hard to do obstacles with only one hand. Um, so I'm hoping, to, you know, nothing wrong with saying you want to win. No, right. I mean, that's the thing <laughs> yeah. is nothing like, r- I, I, I still want to compete. Like, so it's just like, Am I okay going out there with a massive handicap? Um, and uh, and is it smart of me? And I'm gonna have to. I see my surgeon the week before. Um, and then there's uh, the one in Iceland that I spoke of earlier. 20, Spartan has a 24 hour race in Iceland in December that I should be good to go for, hopefully. Um, and then it's next year. I think I'm gonna focus a lot more on um, ultras and uh, ultra marathons. And really, I'd love to get back to Western states, which is where. I was training for that when the femur happened and, uh, you know, just some other big races on the horizon. So you, you strike me as somebody who probably has a lot of women that look up to her and you probably even mentor quite a few people. Do you have like a circle of people that mentor you or that you look up to or that you seek advice from, or are you just so overwhelmed with everything you've got going on? I'm a lone wolf. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) No, I definitely have a group of, what's funny for me is that I have, some of the people that keeps me the most grounded in their life are the people that I've known since I've been very young. And so my closest girlfriends in life were like a group of like seven of us from middle school and high school. Oh, wow. That's and, awesome. you know, they know nothing about the racing world, but it's so refreshing. And we rarely see each other because we all live in different parts of the country. But like to keep those people and keep them grounded in your life. And because they've known you from so long and they don't they don't give a shit. They're about family. My racing. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't care. Yeah, it's like refreshing. They're like, do what you want, you know. Um But then I have, you know, some good, one of my great girlfriends, uh, Caroline Burkle, she was an Olympic swimmer and, you know, she has been my rock throughout all of this. And, um, you know, and I have just different people, different coaches and um, things like that, that really kind of keep me together. Um, And that's really important. And honestly, my family is the most important. I I talk to my parents at least once a week and they hear everything. So what does your daily schedule look like? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, um, I'm a morning person. Um, Some people would say it's a middle of the night person, but I'm up about 4am. And then that's when I train. It's difficult now because the light in the winter, you know, sun doesn't rise until Mm -hmm. later and the trails don't open until later. But I'm out there with a headlamp normally dodging the rangers. Don't tell them that. I hope none of them listen. Um, and <laughs> so no, I have a big uh, ranger following. Do you have a big San Jose Park <laughs> ranger following? Yeah, it's huge. Darn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I run and I train in the morning. Um, I mean, I run generally five to six days a week. I have a one full rest day um, and then, you know, do some strength a few times a week. And then I'm at work by about 8 a.m. And then work through the day and then sometimes I'll do like the strength session in the evenings and whatnot and then I go to bed turn into a pumpkin about 9 or 10 p.m. and do it all over again so I have um I've had to put stuff in place to kind of de-stress or uh relax because I have a very similar go-go life uh one of the things that's been huge for me is I've started to like turn my electronics off by like 7 p.m. because Uh, if I go beyond that I have a real hard time sleeping for years I slept of four hours a night. And I just thought I was one of those people that will always toss and turn and never be able to sleep. Right. Until I started diving more into it and trying to figure out. And that's been a huge hack for me to do that. And I always know when I don't, it makes a difference on my sleep. And when I do it, it mm-hmm. improves it. Have, or have you found things uh, that you've added into your life that kind of help you, 
you know, get out of that go, go mentality all the time. Yeah. So I have a nightly routine, kind of wind down routine that's been really helpful for me. And and I don't know how much of it is actually science or just the entire ritual of it. Um, But I generally I take Epsom salt baths almost every single night. The amount the amount of Epsom salt that I go through is like gnarly. (laughs) Like I need drop shipments every (laughs) few weeks. Um, And I also um, I recently got a red like a red light or a near infrared light. by the Juve guys. I yeah, think that's, we have yeah. one here. Yeah. yeah, that thing has been fantastic. So I like, have you noticed benefit from using it? Yeah, I mean it's difficult to quantify sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. But so I just many there's so many different things, you know. You I like to be super scientific about it, but yeah, I mean I I've noticed definitely, especially if I have nagging um, tendon muscle type of stuff, I actually will lay on the ground and put my feet up against it, like legs up against, like you know when you put like your legs up against the wall uh-huh. and then use it that way um, and. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm so far so good. I've only had it for about a month or so. Um, but and do that at night. And then so I just kind of like putting those things in place before bed. And then I lay on an acupressure mat every night. Have you ever seen those? Like they have little mm. like they're called like bed of nails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like the little like spiky things. Uh-huh. Um, you sleep on that or you just lay on it? Uh, I've fallen asleep on it, which is not oh, wow. a good idea. I mean, <laughs> apparently it's okay to sleep on them. Um, but I woke up, my like, my back was on fire. Um, but no, I so I actually meditate at night, which most people don't recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone says you should do it in the morning, but that's what I do right before I go to bed. Is I hey, if it works for you. I lay on my acupressure mat and I listen to Calm is my, is my app of choice. And uh, then I go to bed. And um, that's, you know, worked out really well for me. You said you increased your fat intake too? Yeah. How is that? What kind of fat and how is that? Has it, has it helped you in any way? Yeah, it's primarily been through oils, you know, coconut oils and um, avocado oil, things like that. Um, and then trying to actually increase the amount of fatty meat. I think I've always had an aversion to fatty meat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's a place, in, you know, for... I try, I've definitely tried to increase red meat intake as well. Um, you know, like fattier cuts of that to get in some of the fat. I mean, like I said, it's hard to notice. It, like it's hard to, because I'm not very scientific about it. Mm-hmm. I'm like throwing in everything all at once. Um, but I definitely feel in just in terms of recovery and whatnot and, um, and just healing process is helped out by the extra fat intake. That's awesome. Have, have you ever tried to follow like a super regimen meal plan before, or have you just kind of exercised your way through? Most, most of... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> my, my super regimen pop tart. Um... Well, I, I do like that you're honest about that because it, it is. I mean, the amount of exercise and movement you're doing, you probably could almost you just need, need calories. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I can get into a slippery slope if I try and get too controlled um, with my diet. Um, and I have, I try to go super low carb and did a stint. I actually, I did a three day fast, um, actually during my, when my femur was broken because I had heard about how fasting can actually, you know, um, send your growth hormone levels through the roof, stimulate which then stem stimulate, cell growth, all that stuff. right. Which then stimulates healing. And, uh, so but maybe I, not during injury. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, though it was an interesting experiment because by the third day of, like fasting and I was taking a, a bit of exogenous ketones. Like I was flying high. I felt I fantastic. I was like, I could do this for 10 days. <laughs> and then like, no, I mean, but it, I don't recommend that. Um, but so I've never really gotten, that was the only time that I'd ever like really gotten ketosis, but I see how people like can kind of thrive on that. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. But I just, it's too restrictive. I mean, it's just too hard. Well, you're an endurance athlete. Too. Yeah. It's not yeah. as advantageous for someone like True, you. True though. Yeah. There are a lot of, I mean, Zach Bitter is a yeah, fat yes. adapted. We've had Zach yeah. on the right. show. But he's not, I don't think he's I don't know. He still uses, no, he still uses the carbs. So, yeah. so, so he, he uses he, carbs. Yeah. He, yeah. Ru- he runs keto he and then, it. and then, then, he, yeah, yeah, exactly. Then he, t- it just takes way less now. Right. So that's what's so Cause it increases about. insulin sensitivity so much. So then right. when he is racing or running, he can take, you know, carbs and his body just utilizes them very yeah. effectively. Right. And I, I don't remember what he said, but it was, it was quite a, it was more, it than, was a huge, yeah, it was the difference, difference. between, I think in races in the past, you'd eat up to 600, yeah. 900 grams of carbs where he only needed like 300 now or whatever. Yeah. I would love, I mean, I, in an ideal world, I would love to be, I mean, to get into that process to, you know, to become a fat adaptive athlete takes 
you know, a fair amount of time. And mm. it's, I've heard it's really hard for women. It's much, much harder for women. So when you're uh, very true, so going so restrictive, uh, either cutting too much fat or too many carbs for women while training at a very, very high intensity. Yeah. When you put that all together, it can spell disaster for hormones. Mm-hmm. It can cause, so whereas, you know, you can have estrogen issues when you go too low fat, you can have thyroid issues if you go too low carb for too long, cycling it is what some people will find. Yeah, so if it's something about like the T3 or T4, I can't remember which one of those is that can be thrown off by the low carb for women. So. Yeah, because your body starts to adapt. It's, oh, I'm starving and I'm exercising a lot. Let's adapt by reducing yeah. our uh, activity with uh, with our thyroid. So yeah. it's not necessarily a good idea. And as far as endurance is concerned, you can, these ultra high um, you know, marathon runners, some of them do do ketogenic diets and do very well. But when you're doing obstacles, which require some strength, yeah. probably not a good idea for performance. You're probably yeah. better off doing a little bit of both. Yeah, I would I would never, it's, I mean, it's fascinating to me, but it's one of those things where I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get in ketosis. I'm going to become fat adapted. And then like three hours later, I'm like, Ooh, bowl of chocolates. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just not going to work. <laughs> I've been meaning to ask you since you came in your necklace. What, yes. What is that? This it looks is, like a bone. It is a buffalo tooth. Oh, actually, ah. yes. Is there any meaning behind it? It was given to me, um, and I really like it. And it, and I can kind of like rub it, almost like a worry stone when I'm stressed out. And um, I don't think it was supposed to be a necklace, but I made it into one. So I like it. Very cool. Cool. Very very cool. Well, um, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having so, me. Yeah, good. Time. It's been awesome talking to you. Um, you're very inspiring, and I'm look forward to seeing what you do in the future, whether that means winning more races or moving in different directions or whatever. It's uh, very compelling mm-hmm. hearing yeah. some of your story. So excellent. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Yes. Always che- welcome down here. Check it out. Go to YouTube, Mind Pump TV. We post a new video every single day. You can also find us on Instagram at Mind Pump Radio. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.